Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I don't play football. I would never dream of playing football. I ain't want anybody hit me. <laughs> but I take this mentality with me everywhere I go. When I give speeches, I tell people all the time, I'm brilliant because I know I'm not. I'm never satisfied. I learn from people who are brilliant, and I steal knowledge from them. The same is applicable to you. If you see somebody that's better than you, if you look in your mind's eye, and you know that somebody has something that you don't, why not ask yourself why? Why not ask yourself, how can you get it? Who told you that they get to have a monopoly on greatness? You living, you're breathing, you're eating, you're working, how come you can't get it? You gotta ask yourself these questions. And that doesn't mean the answer will always be yes. It doesn't mean the answer is always gonna be in an affirmative for you. But what it does mean is the fact that you ask yourself that question means that you are looking for every excuse, every little nugget that you can find, that you can muster to maximize your potential. That, of course, was Stephen A. Smith, uh, somebody that is universally loved and embraced by pretty much the entire sporting community. No! That's not what Stephen A. Smith is, but that is why Paul Gallant, as you join me on the Deceptively Fast podcast, I actually felt good about humanity that I saw people grudgingly give Stephen A. Smith credit for giving a pretty moving and motivational speech. I actually, Stephen A. Smith gets on my nerves at times, many of the times, almost all of the times. But he's a very successful person, and I thought that was good advice for a young Syracuse football team that is destined to win at least three football games this year. Hey, they might even get five this year. What is the over-under on Syracuse It's probably right now? four. They're four and eight every year. Here's the thing. They actually have a good quarterback, but he is a quarterback that can't throw. I know that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Not as much in college football. He's it tough. doesn't matter as much. His name's Eric Dungy. He's a yeah. tough motherfucker. Like the guy, I feel he's had seven or eight concussions or so in his career. Very fun to watch. They'll, they will but be watchable. But he's old school. He encourages the trainers to just ignore it. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, wink, wink. <laughs> Are you winking because you're trying to tell me something? Or are you winking because he had a concussion? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Right. He, he's, he is... He is likable. They're a likable team. They will play well. They will compete, but they will lose the majority of their games. So Stephen A. Smith talks to these guys. I don't know exactly how he ended up in front of them. If like he was up there doing something Probably anyway. Probably was passing through Newhouse for some sort of speaking opportunity for students because school has started up there. So I imagine he stopped by Newhouse, gave some sort of pep talk, and Syracuse University probably said to themselves, well, you know what, let's bring him out to the football team. Yeah, he didn't use the word in there, but jealousy is really what you're addressing. When yeah. you look at successful people, particularly, I think it's easy to look at people that are older than you and successful and say, oh, of course, I'll try to emulate them. When you see people that are your same age that have more success than you, it's a really, really hard thing to do to just set aside your ego and say, okay, you know what? 
they're doing something differently than me. Maybe it's that his daddy helped him out. But look, okay, how can I? How can I get? Who can I? Who can be my mentor and help me out in a similar way or whatever? You should always be willing to ask questions of people that are older than you, and even if you're asking them just for the sake of asking them, yeah, it's doing stuff like that. You might get insight you didn't expect. And when I first came into this industry, I did not really think anything of myself, and they were when I first joined Sports Radio 610, telling me to do whatever the hell they wanted. And I was like, yeah, sure, yes, 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 okay, yes. And that approach has worked to this point. I, I, I look at people today, and I, and I wonder how many people still have that kind of patience. It seems that the younger generation, maybe this is something that's a myth, yeah. but that they want to move up the ranks a lot quicker than is actually possible. And the frustration with the lack of movement, they decide to just, as Paul Rudd says in Forgetting Sarah Marshall's, uh, fuck the lemons and bail. Yeah. Uh, well, but it, it's tough because it's really low unemployment right now, and there are a lot of opportunities out there. And job hopping doesn't have the stigma attached to it that it used to. Right. So I say it's tough, but it's easier for them in some respects to just leap onto another job. And maybe for some guys and for some young kids, maybe that is the actual best measure for or best tone for me. I guess it's just a matter of like, are you doing it because it is actually a better opportunity or are you doing it because somebody wasn't giving you everything right away? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I think it varies person to person. And I mean, to have that kind of feeling is natural. I, I think you should almost always have that feeling. I know I had that feeling not that long ago yeah. f- with, with certain people, some of which were older than me, some of which were not older than me, where I looked at them and I was like, why do I not have this? Yeah. What am I not doing that I don't have this? And the problem is, I think for a lot of people, it sort of festers, and you don't actually do what you're supposed to do, which is anything, literally anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, instead of just instead of just fuming about it. Do something. And just entering that spiral of self-doubt and blaming others and everything. I think a lot of people, too, really don't understand and realize like that you have to stop stop with the notion that everything's a meritocracy because it just flat out isn't. It's not. You're you're, right. If you're working in a company or even if you're independent, so much of it is about do people enjoy working with you? Do people – are you there when the opportunity presents itself? And that's where I think we're so much – so much is – made of working at home or working independently or working out of a coffee shop these days if you work in a place that has an office there's a lot to be said for just being around the office and that like it's happening with me just with sales opportunities here at our radio station we have five different radio stations here i've had salespeople from the spanish-speaking station think to use me in a campaign just because i was around you know, because it was three in the afternoon on a Friday, and they're like, "Hey, it's Seth. Hey, Gringo, you'll do." And uh, and and it works that way. And learning from the veteran of yeah. the sales opportunities, that is something that I need to do instead of being bitter about not getting <laughs> yeah, them. Just go out and just actually. See, just give me advice right now. The other thing that Stephen A. Smith does here, very powerful and yet underutilized, and I think it's partly because so many of us listen to podcasts at two times speed now. The pregnant pause. Very good with the pregnant pause. It Sometimes it feels when you're speaking like a pregnant pause is lasting five, ten seconds, but it's not. Doing a solo radio show? Yeah. Oh, you learn the pregnant pause, don't you? You learn the value. So so some people <laughs> used to give me shit for it because yeah. I, I, I after a while, they would really drag on. Now, for some, t- some moments, it was emphasis. Yeah. But for other moments, it was, 
I, I don't remember what I was talking about. Uh, but when you, here we are. But that's the beauty of the pregnant pause. If you routinely use them, then people think the exact opposite of what's actually happening. Right. You don't know what you're talking about, but the people are thinking, like, oh, he's about to say something big. But then I guess if you're if you're stuck in that moment, then you really got to come up with like something. I feel like I gave a lot of my listeners blue balls then. If that's what, if that's what they're waiting for, something big. I didn't take them to the happy town any, any of those times. <laughs> no. That one thing, one quick tangent, that reminds me. The way that ratings, radio ratings, are measured now, it's kind of technical. And I like, I suppose, I guess we're not supposed to talk about it overly, but this is all public information. Yeah. There are people meters that people wear, and they detect a certain frequency in the music or the radio station that you're listening to. And then it's like a Nielsen box with television. They just extrapolate all that data out and figure out roughly how many people are listening. But smooth jazz has taken a huge hit because they can't transmit as strong a people meter rating over over smooth jazz without hurting the quality of the music interesting so the smooth jazz so they're out there people out there that want to listen to smooth jazz except it doesn't show up in the rating so advertisers don't want to spend as much money on it so smooth jazz stations are dying by the by the I'm by okay the dozens that. scads of them as someone who my dad when i was growing up with my with my dad gary he was someone who loved to find ways to annoy me. And this is sort of ha- what I've become, a little yeah. bit of a troll. Because my dad was, one of the things that he used to do was change the channel from whatever I was watching to the Weather Channel. My dad loves jazz. Weather Channel's always playing jazz music oh, on in the background. Oh, so you just put the Weather Channel on and... Just okay. jazz nonstop. <laughs> and then while in, the ra- while in the car as well, always switch the radio to jazz. So if there's less jazz in the smooth jazz in the world, it's not that I have a problem with smooth jazz. It's just that my dad, that was one of the few musical uh, experiments that he tried to pull on me to make me like it that, that really failed colossal. I'm going to start a foundation to rescue the smooth jazz. <laughs> Monday Night Football last night. My quick takeaway would be this. Andrew Luck looks like he might be on his way back, but he didn't really do anything all that impressive. He had some really, really bad throws. And more than anything, his offensive line, even though it might be slightly improved, is still just like a dagger dangling above his face, and I'm worried that he's going to die. Joe Flacco, I thought, looked really good. He's healthy. He's appropriately motivated by Lamar Jackson, who's underneath him. If I were a Ravens fan, what I'd be worried about is this. Joe Flacco seems to be responding to the competition really well. Last night, we learned that Lamar Jackson is likely nowhere close to being ready to start an NFL game. He was heaving balls off into the first row of the stands. It just looked awful. Does Joe Flacco all of a sudden get fat and lazy? I don't think so. I I think Flacco realizes that his legacy at this point has become he sucks. I think he he hears this outside noise, and he's obviously acting like he doesn't care about it. But, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, you you hear that from a guy like him, and you're like, damn it, man, it's been been five – Five years since I had four perfect games in a row. Do you think his legacy is that he sucks, or at least like the book on him now? I, I, the over book the last on him now, years, yeah. Right, I mean, yeah. he, he had he had four incredible games in a row in the playoffs, and before that and after that, he really never looked like that at all. But they did a really good job, Baltimore, this offseason of overhauling the receiver core. I mean, Rashad Perriman, they were trying to make that work for the longest time, and I, I don't even know if he makes the team this year. Now you you bring in uh, uh, Willie Sneed, you bring in Michael Crabtree, and you bring in a guy I, I know you like. I like him because I've had him on my fantasy team like for three years in a row, even though he always gets hurt because I love how fast the guy is. You have John Brown, who's like the perfect Joe Flacco receiver because he's just fast as shit, and he can run like 40 yards straight down the field, T.Y. Hilton-esque. John, Ro- John Brown – both Mike Meltzer and I have an emotional attachment to because 
he first showed up when he was a rookie with Arizona and in Bill O'Brien's first game as head coach of the Texans in a preseason game just got torched by John Brown. Yeah, he was really good. And uh, so it's almost in like this weird, you know that kind of weird nostalgia you have for a time when you were depressed? Do you ever get that? You're kind of like, you think back on a time when you were depressed and somehow you actually feel nostalgia for it. That's how I feel about John Brown because I went into a state of football nihilism after the game in which the Texans just got bludgeoned by the Arizona Cardinals by, and, and by John Brown specifically to where I felt like I don't, I'm going to quit my job. I can't go through – we just came off a 2-14 and 14 season. I can't go through another year of this. And if I'm going to be getting torn apart by the likes of John Brown and not the uh, the leader of the slave rebellion from back in the day, not by this John Brown, I won't do it. And now when I see him, though, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? He was actually pretty good, and Bill O'Brien and the Texans got better. It wasn't a 2-14 and 14 season. There, there were some female situations in my past where I had this desperate love for these people that were not available to me, yeah. yet I kept – it going and I maintained it. I missed that feeling. Haven't had that feeling in a really long time. Blind, stupid, uh, idiot love. Really? Yeah, where even though it's a miserable one too, where yeah. you're second guessing yourself oh. and wondering all well, the time. Well, I see the funny thing was I wasn't second guessing myself. Oh, okay. I always assumed it was going to work out. You just need to stick it out. Stick it out. <laughs> stick it out. It'll, it'll work. You 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 have this. It didn't it didn't work. But I went all in. I finally put all my chips on the table at one point and I don't regret I don't regret that at all. Just before we started recording this uh, the magical thing happened. Adrian Peterson signed by the Washington Redskins. I don't know if you even knew this yet. Adrian Peterson signed by the Washington Redskins. Adrian Peterson, who had one magical game last year when he was first signed by Arizona, got 157 yards rushing versus the San Francisco 49ers. But other than that, and actually including that game, since the beginning of 2016, he's averaged three yards per carry. Last year, after he had that 157-yard game, he had three games where he averaged like 2.5 yards per carry. It's been a bad stretch for Adrian Peterson. I don't, I don't anticipate him having like a stretch of greatness here with Washington. I, I suppose maybe if they put in an Adrian Peterson package, which is just all heavy personnel, invite a nine-man box and just and just scrum it up. You know, not the worst idea in the world for goal line situations and things like that. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he'd I wondered if I wonder if he would appreciate being relegated to that even though he's been out of the league and not looked at the same way that he used to be since probably week 3 of last year with the Saints where he started really falling out of favor and Alvin Kamara started getting opportunities and really kicking ass. Um you know what's strange is that I, People, no matter how little success he has in each stop along the way, I think there are people out there that think he's not getting opportunities because of the child abuse allegations from a few years back. Which is where he hit his kid with a switch. Which is inaccurate. I mean, people people were willing to overlook right. that because this is not a Ray Rice situation where Ray he Rice was, was burnt out. Right, he was burnt out, but he also like he was burnt out. He would have gotten other opportunities, I think. If like he would have been, he would have been probably like Adrian Peterson, where he's situation. had a few opportunities. If it hadn't been for all of that, I, I think the difference between a Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson is Adrian Peterson is a physical freak of nature that is seen maybe once in a generation when it comes to running backs, and even where he is now, I mean that kind of power in short yardage situations, I'm definitely willing to give him like seven. Carries oh. a game in in those spots, and Alex Smith running the bootleg out of uh, you know out of the goal line out of a goal line formation with Adrian Peterson in the backfield. I mean that could work out pretty well for Washington, which I think desperately needs 
any and any any weapons that they could any, possibly any get reason, for Smith because they're reason for hope at all. They just yeah, they're just boring. They, I mean, you know, I mean, bring in Alex Smith. Ugh, they, they're just a boring. This hey, we're here. Feel like, like hey, these are excuses that we could have made to our fan base, or these are these are gestures we could have made like even two or three years ago, and it's been viable. But yeah, we let Kirk Cousins walk out the door because we weren't quite sure about him. But hey, we're replacing him with another guy that nobody's been sure about for years and years right. and years. Plus, we'll bring in Adrian Peterson. I, it's depressing. It's depressing if you're uh, a it's fan of those teams. Been, been depressing for a while for Washington, like the entire Daniel Snyder era. Pretty much my entire lifetime, the Redskins have sucked. And honestly, I mean, 1993, 94, whenever they won their last title, I mean, that was one of the prestige franchises of the league. The helmet rule has not been popular. It's not been well received. As everybody oh, anticipated, say. <laughs> it has not been popular. They have... They have invoked the helmet rule 51 times in 33 preseason games. That's a rate of about 1.5 per game. 43 of those infractions have been on the defense. Eight have actually been on the offense, which surprised me a little bit. I knew there had been a couple on the offense, yeah, it's almost but it's, 20%. it seemed like almost nothing. I, I'm going to say this. 1.5 per game, if they were actually legitimate penalties that you felt like, okay, this guy was lowering his head and using it as a weapon – I feel like I could live with that, and I think that would make a lot of sense. The problem is it's been 1.5 per game. So many of them have been on things that clearly shouldn't have been fouls, and yet at other times during those games, I'm seeing ones that – I'm seeing hits that I feel like would should be flagged by these new rules, and they're not being flagged. So I don't I, – I know that there's a lot of talk that they're probably going to back this off. Maybe they'll introduce a replay element to it. That's all completely fine. I don't know if at any point I'm going to trust the officials to actually make the calls in the appropriate circumstances. You can't really trust them to make any call anymore. And it's not entirely their fault. I, I, I mean, you got 22 200-pounds minimum players that are five foot eleven to six foot seven on the field. And you're asking these guys over a field that's uh, 120 yards uh, long, 55. Three, 53 and a half yards wide. Yards wide. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're asking these guys, four guys, five guys, six guys, to keep an eye on everything. It's tough. So if they add replay, they might be able to do a very good job of keeping tabs on this. But that's going to delay games. And I don't think that the NFL wants to find itself in a similar situation with baseball when it comes to pace of play. Or college football, especially when it comes to pace of play. Because that's college football's, I think, biggest problem right now. So, uh, yeah, these refs, they're in a really bad spot. Um is that one, one and a half calls, is that going to turn away viewers? That's right. really the big question that I have. Cause it's a Trump effect, too, where, like, one person kneels, Trump tweets about it, and it gets huge and it gets magnified. This gets magnified, not by Trump. I don't think Trump's going to be – It could oh, be, Actually, though. he might be. Actually, he'll, he's he'll the make one that points said football. Remember when football was yeah. tough? <laughs> when I had the USFL? He'll make an, well, he'll make an off com, offhand comment about that at a rally or something. I don't think it's going to be something he tr really treat, tweets about a lot because he can get too much traction with the, the kneeling stuff. But – it is that one time that it happens in a game, and then all of a sudden all the old jokes about how it's flag football and they're taking the fun out of football and the violence out of football, they all rear up. So you're right. All it does is take is once to twice a game. I know. And it becomes a big deal. And it's one bad call. One bad call in a weekend, that one gets magnified. Exactly. The old catch rule, 
you know, last year we barely heard about the catch rule until at the end of the season there was the Jesse James catch in the end zone in the Pittsburgh Steelers game that was a big deal, and it became a big deal again. That's all it takes is one little thing. You're right. College has somewhat got it. Are you happy with the way it is in college? With the targeting? Uh, other than the fact that they can eject kids I, without I any review. I don't like that at I don't, all. I don't either because I think that there needs to be clear intent to eject a guy. And yeah. and in, in these in these calls in the NFL, I feel like there should be intent or something. And I know you brought that up on when we were do, when we were doing Mad Radio on, on uh, Tuesday. Uh, intent, whether a guy's defenseless or not, and if a guy's actually trying to yeah. make a form tackle. Like Those are things that they should be looking for. I, I think that they should be looking for as well specific parts of the helmet that are not areas like, that you want to see touching. If you, if you graze right, if, like if the, the crown, crown of the of helmet, helmet, obviously, yeah, they should have a little like a little chalk ring around it. You know so what? Like in tennis, you can go check the chalk and point to the chalk. That might be the next sign. The, the next step is they they change helmets in a way where there's a big circle in the middle of it, <laughs> and it just totally. <laughs> Like ruins the classic look of great helmets across the league. Should have a big Don Beebe helmet that has <laughs> sensors in it. I'm running around like Marvin the, the Martian. Great kazoo, yeah. A football field is 53 and a third yards Ooh. wide. 53. I said 53 and a half. It's 53 yards and four inches, which is weird. And I don't know how how that how did came they come to up be. With that? I'm gonna have to look into that. I remember 53 because I used to run so many half gassers that you know like exactly how far oh you're going. Half gas, well, full gassers are the most miserable of all things. So that'd be the equivalent of suicides in basketball. Okay, so so you go back and forth, back and forth. So you have to uh, go like a quarter of the way, then half and back, halfway yeah. and back. No, 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 no. That oh, would okay. now that would be a genuine suicide. A, a gasser is over and back, over and back, and then okay. or you run a half gasser, which is just over and back. Okay, I I I think that I might have done those a couple of times in high school, but not to the degree that an NFL player would be doing. It. Anything, any conditioning drill that involves accelerating more than once is the hardest conditioning uh, drill. Like when you when you have to do shuttles and stuff, when you have to stop and then accelerate, that's hard. When you were doing those, how what was your mentality during those? I remember when I was in high school doing the the conditioning drills at the end of practice. Yeah. I I was like this is fucking terrible. Let's just get me through this as as much as I could. I didn't really see that this actually could be beneficial. Oh, that to it was actually game. help for you. Yeah. I was always Joe Turbo, so my mentality was to win. Oh, uh, nice. I was uh, yeah, like I just liked winning the conditioning drills. Like so, a lot of like seniors hated me when I was a freshman because <laughs> those guys are playing like they'd be playing sixty snaps in a game, you know. <laughs> and you're coming out on Monday, and all you're trying to do is just get through and make it under the time, which is really the way you should do it right. on a Monday. It's just for recovery. But I'd be out there just sprinting. <laughs> ahead of everything. I was a little nerd. I was such a little bastard. I talked to one of the guys the other day, uh, Dick Emmett, who was a uh, – I didn't – I talked to him on Twitter, not about this, but I'm going to have to apologize to him. He listens to the podcast. Dick, I'm sorry I won all those gassers the days after games uh, during uh, college football. I didn't know how stupid I was and what a <laughs> Joe Turbo I was. Jim Harbaugh tweeted out – actually, no, it was the uh, the Southern Accent guy on ESPN. Oh, Marty yeah. Marty, whatever. The NASCAR guy. Is he the NASCAR guy, uh, but he also does, like, tailgating type hang, stuff hang, and everything? Hang, his name is Matt. Marty Smith. Marty Smith. Okay. Marty Smith. Marty Smith tweeted out this board with motivational sayings that Jim Harbaugh has up on a whiteboard in his office. There's, like – there are arrows leading from some quotes to others, which seemingly would mean they're related, but I can't figure it out. But there's so many motivational quotes here, and every single one of them is, is one that, like, I've seen something like in the presentation by a football coach along the way. What were your favorite quotes? All right, my, my favorite ones were – Number one, and I, I, this was the first one I saw. The smartest person in the room is the one who realizes he or she is not the smartest person. Uh, in the room. 
I think you should be as realistic as you possibly can be about yourself, about other people that are around you at all times. I think that sometimes we get sense of a sense of grandeur and a sense of domination or whatever where we assume that we are at every moment in life the top dog. And I mean, for example, I feel very confident about what I know about the NFL. Uh-huh. I don't feel that confident about what I know about baseball, and I've just decided to go all in on the – I'm just going to pretend like I don't know anything about baseball except for in specific instances where I want to lay out a hot take of, so, of yeah. sorts that I actually strongly believe in. Um, I, 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 and I think it's important to know that in any facet of life, like there's probably someone when you're having a conversation with somebody else that knows a lot more about what you're talking about or at the very than least, on. Or at the very least exactly what you know, but they have a different perspective on it. Yeah. And that's why – in politics especially, so much of it comes down to just two really intelligent people can be equally intelligent, but they just have different perspectives on life or different upbringings yeah. or different expectations or beliefs, and then they're not going to see eye to eye. That's why the the scariest person in the world to me is somebody who's really intelligent who doesn't realize that there are other intelligent people in the world. Like, it's okay it's okay to think that you're smarter than most people because in, you might in fact be – Unless, also, I'd say this, you're probably really smart in your one facet of life that you're good at, but you might be a complete moron when it comes I, to talking to your auto mechanic. So quit acting like your excellence in the legal field has anything to do with talking to your auto mechanic, who is much, much smarter than you when it comes to your vehicle. No, you're, you're, you're 100% right, and, and I feel, for the most part, the person that usually thinks that they are the smartest person in the room is socially an idiot. Yeah, you know that that a Trevor that, Bauer type. Yeah, like Trevor Bauer that like Trevor Bauer the pitcher the who's a really bright guy but is unbear- unbearable amongst his teammates yes. and in life in general because he doesn't realize that there are other smart people out there or that other people that like maybe don't understand the math behind what he's doing. But if he, hey, you just actually have a chat with him, maybe they wouldn't. Uh, they maybe they wouldn't hate you so much. Screw him for that spin rate conversation. That <laughs> I don't want to hear about any spin rate. Okay, well we're stuck on one quote. What's your other favorite quote? Okay. Uh, uh, attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. I'm just sick of that one because I've heard it so much from him and his dad. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the that was the big one when the Ravens went to the Super Bowl. They highlighted his dad a lot, and his dad's an interesting dude. Both the the Harbaugh dad was was a very Harbaugh like guy. Um, but I'm just sick of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I I sometimes feel that I approach some days. With no enthusiasm, with <laughs> anger and, and, and a cynical loathing of everything. Uh, if you are bored, you are boring. I am guilty of that way too much. Yeah. I, for example, in uh, on Tuesday, on, excuse me, on Monday night while watching the Astros and Mariners in a game that was taking, I felt far too long because Tony Sip can't get the fucking ball to home plate. I was getting upset. But should I be saying, oh, I'm bored, oh, I'm bored all the time? No, I shouldn't be. And that's something I'm taking from this, and I'm going to try to apply going forward. I've used that quote on my daughter. Uh, I think it's very effective, but it's not one that I really truly understood until I was maybe like 38 years old. So I don't know if kids necessarily get it. The other thing I think when that song, when that comes up is the song by Harvey Danger. Uh, it's Flagpole Sitta. Where, I swear to God, it sounds like they're snoring. Oh, that one. But if you're bored, then you're boring. The agony and the irony. Something, something, something. That's what comes up. Uh, Don't make someone a priority who treats you like an option. Again, with women. There was one in particular over the past year that I allowed this to manifest. She treats you like an option? Uh, I mean, doesn't everyone treat everyone like an option these days in the dating world? I guess it becomes, yeah, are you my first option? It did not. It did. 
it took me a really long time to realize, you know what? I'm probably like option three here. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you realize like you started doing the math. And I, was like, like, I was like, all right, how often can you be unavailable? And, yeah. And, you know, except and, for then like all of a sudden at the last moment you are available. Exactly. Though, then Now I'm getting in my mind a whole matrix of different people with like who's option number three. Somebody who's like option number three to this other person is talking to that person, but that person's option number one to option number three but then you go over to you and you're option number two to her but you're still waiting on the option number one guy oh boy you guys you kids in your dating apps and everything and your texting ruins everything it used to be so hard to get in touch with people and then actually meet up with them that you just didn't have the energy to juggle two people at most sometimes people would juggle three but it was really really hard you could conceivably juggle like with the proper amount of organization, ten people. I had about a year ago. I had a a week where I I somehow successfully or uh, organized four people. Oh, I, God. I, I in a week or a weekend. In in a week, in a week, not yeah. in a weekend. No, it was it was in a, it was in a week, and and I even felt weird about it afterwards. <laughs> and but I, is it now? Is it kind of taken for granted with people that you're dating now until you like actually have the conversation? that you're seeing each other exclusively. Does everybody just kind of take it for granted that you're probably seeing a, other people? I have been under the assumption of that for, yeah. for a while, and and I didn't always feel that way. It's just sort of been a last couple of years. Everything's sort of added up to that. Yeah. A lot of experiences have been that way. I mean, Tinder does that. It does. It's, it just, it's, it has it, All of these apps have, have ruined everything. It, it makes you look for the next best option. I've been guilty of it myself. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough. It's a tough thing well, to actually. It's, yeah, it's not in your imagination. It's like right there on the screen. Yeah, you're you like, oh, I'm, I'm sure everything. I can find someone else, right? And then you go to the bars and you think the same thing, but then you realize at the bars it's pretty difficult to actually strike up a conversation <laughs> with someone because you have to get through their social group and you have to actually That's like true, have them so enjoy many... yourself, have, enjoy yeah. you. Is there an app that makes it more like the bar where like you could be on Tinder? And you might swipe, was it swipe right if you like her? Yes. If You might swipe right on her, but then like three of her friends have to swipe right on you before she even sees that you swiped on Ooh, her. Ooh, that could work. I think that could that work. Might work. That might work really well. But then, and then you could see the, the beautiful thing would be like, okay, the friends that like maybe, oh, I like, but I like this Paul character. Maybe I'll, uh, yeah. maybe I won't approve him, but then I'll reach out to him through other means. Mm. I like that. And then I would blackmail everybody Ooh, wow. if I owned that. Well, uh, you got any other quotes over there? Uh, I, I have two that I, d I don't know what the fuck these mean. Okay. Okay. Preaching to the choir is for showboats and the soft. <laughs> I guess preaching to the choir is uh, if you only seek out people that already agree with you, then what are you doing? You're just looking for you're just looking for self affirmation or confirmation uh, whatever word it would be there's a lot of people on twitter you're right yeah exactly like if you're only looking if you're only hanging out with people that agree with you all the time or you're not trying to like evangelize whatever your message is then what are you really accomplishing nothing really right so but i hmm but now as a football coach he'd be the first one to be like we need to bring in the right kind of guys well why don't you bring in the wrong kind of guys and preach to them yeah exactly turn yes, it turn yeah, them yeah hypocritical bastard uh the last one that i was i i just said to myself uh-huh Lead like Truman, don't tap dance like Fred Astaire. Okay, so Harry as Truman, Truman yeah. he dropped nuclear weapons on Japan. Right. Uh, he did lead. Well, I mean, he, well, he lied he to him. He made a tough decision. He inherited the job from a, from a dead president, and then he did have to make that decision. Now, But I'm, how does Fred Astaire relate to this? What was the Fred Astaire part? Don't tap dance like Fred Astaire. <laughs> How did we get from was Harry Astaire? Was Fred Astaire a bad tap dancer? Uh, uh, no, was, he was. I was think he was a really good, good I know he's a good dancer, right? 
But don't yeah, why are we throwing why are we throwing Fred Astaire under exactly. the bus for no good reason? Exactly. I don't understand was that. Was he like uh did they find out he was an anti Semite later on or something? <laughs> like Fred Astaire, they found out he was a commie and an anti anti Semite. And anti nuclear weapon. It came out with the McCarthyism. Truman uh now Truman, this is uh this is a delicate situation. Truman ordered the bombing of Hiroshima. I just learned something about the Nagasaki and whether he I don't I, like don't quote me any of this. I'll, I'll read it and we'll update everybody else next. But like they didn't they didn't tell. Oh, this is what it was. I don't think that Truman was actually informed of the true devastation of Hiroshima at the time that he ordered the second bomb dropped oh. uh, or something like that, because Truman had just stepped in. And Roosevelt, like relatively recently, you know, Roosevelt obviously had the advisors he could trust and everything. But there's a little bit of an image of Truman kind of being led around by the generals who look, you give a general a bomb, he's going to use it. Uh, the president's supposed to be the, the gatekeeper between well, that. Especially then, I mean, we like to think that the presidents have all of the power, but yeah. I imagine the president then versus the president now, there's a big discrepancy in the actual power that they had. And then well, yeah, because FDR changed the presidency a lot in right. terms of exactly what his powers were. And I, I took a class in 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 uh, at Syracuse. I, I, I took um, political science as a minor, and one of the classes I took was about like military and the relationship with the government and all of that, and just talked about coups and stuff all the time. Yeah, Gover the, the the government and and the military are almost always adversarial because the government they they have to allocate resources, they have to determine all right what 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 amount of money and what amount to, of troops get put yeah. in, and the they generals have to please many masters as right, well. Exactly, so because they're and they're pleasing people that are outside of the military sector, yeah. where everyone in the military is like, we need this. Give it to us. And this is what we we have an objective. We want to go do it, and this is how we're going to do exactly. it. And we don't want to think about anything else. This is what we got to do. So they probably thought to themselves in that moment, well, we can take advantage of this, yeah. and we can do things the way well, that we want to do them. But now think about in the military, too. They're facing all these POWs in Japan are being treated miserably. Yeah. The percentage of Ameri help. the percentage of American POWs that died in prison uh, prison camps in Japan compared to in other theater the other theater of the war was ridiculous. Like the Japanese prison camps were just horrendous uh just just horrendous circumstances and Japan had the plan at the time that if it looked like it, they got to the point of no return, they were going to kill all the POWs. Like, the Japan had this no-surrender policy that they were going to go down fighting no matter what. So, and now we get into, okay, the okay, does that justify the nuclear bomb or what have you? But I could see from the military perspective and from the, the general's perspectives, you've got how many untold other other soldiers going to die trying to invade Japan where they have this no surrender policy. All the POW is going to get killed as soon as we land. Yeah. So what do we do? It was a, it was a, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of tense. And let's remember that when we talk about how much mean people are mean to each other on Twitter, it's not actually all that bad. It's not bad it's at not all. It's not all that bad compared to what things used to no, be. Not, not at all. I mean, again, they had to end the war. That's, yeah. that's what, and honestly, you take a look there. I, I read some long report about what, would have happened if they had invaded and jesus it, it would have been, been it would have been crazy I, and, and you yeah. know what shit my like my grandfather uh both my grandfathers fought in, in each theater my grand my dad's dad fought in the south pacific i mean they would have had to pull a lot of resources into japan right. to actually accomplish whatever objective they would have wanted to and it would have taken a lot of manpower considering how determined they were to to win or die at all costs. Uh, Dan Carlin has a podcast, by the way, Hardcore History, and he just started. It's like the beginning of like why Japan became what it was in yeah. World War II. The first part was out, came out like a couple of weeks ago. Very good. Well, the whole 
and I was trying to explain this to my daughter as she was, uh, it was one of these things where your kids ask you a history question and you realize you don't know enough yeah. about it. But just that whole concept among nations that existed for however many hundreds of years where it was just kind of like a, well, yeah, you want to be an empire, right? <laughs> of course I want to be an empire. And it was just kind of accepted, like, ah, there goes Germany off trying to be an empire. Let's see what happens later on. No big deal. Yeah, Japan, what are they They're trying to be an empire. Where somehow fi- they finally figured out after how many centuries of civilization, all right, let's, let's, let's cool it with the empire building. Well, just all it took was a couple of world wars with pe- millions and millions of people. No died. big deal. Um, you found this as you were perusing Canadian medical journals, as I know you're <laughs> – you want to do there's a website that that, that i go to you don't even know listen you don't have to cite the website because they're from a competitor of mine this I is, i'm going to say this about your generation um and including people like that people in the media from your generation you guys think that you need to credit aggregators when no all you need to do is credit the original source fair enough so the canadian study that this is a canadian study like i don't have to mike sometimes it'll drive me crazy mike will credit pro football talk for some report i'm like no but no mike florio took that from this other source you credit the actual source in defense of this story in in defense of the story though it it basically was a long list of all the stuff that happens in a pool yeah and he was going from all sorts of different sources oh oh, all right okay what was the uh, what was the website no you can say the website uh uh it it was through dollar shave club which is yeah no no that was the website dollar shave club they 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 put a lot of content up about like random things that a guy might think of i was uh i was just being finicky because i myself am a harry's razor fellow right i'm a harry's razor man oh i didn't i didn't i didn't have to say i didn't have to say the website but now it's an interesting conversation so So i like i didn't like uh, we don't have to cite that website but if that's the kid if that's the way it was and there you go. So a, a pool, there's typically an average of eight gallons of pee in a typical 110,000 gallon pool, and that that's really not much at all. It honestly doesn't sound that bad. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Except it's that it's dispersed. Eight, except that it's eight gallons. It's still eight gallons, and and so so to get to eight gallons, apparently the human bladder contains an out an average of 300 milliliters or so uh-huh. of urine, and that adds up to oh, to get to eight gallons. It's about a hundred people going to the bathroom when oh they're God. in there. I, I I feel like that, that number seems actually small too. It it, it seems small. So apparently, a hundred people are pissing in the pool at any moment, and the problem is water does not get changed very often in a pool. It's the same water, yeah. so you can put chlorine, you can put all sorts of stuff in it. Over time, though, that urine's accumulating. It, it oh, accumulates. Right. So it seems like it would be more than eight gallons. And you after mix a while. it with chemicals. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's per year. It's eight gallons per, per year, year in a hundred and ten thousand uh, gallon pool. Oh. And unless these pools are getting drained oh. on the regular, which again is expensive because water costs so, so much. Up north, outdoor pools get drained every year at least we're right. down south it's just that, that same sure. water staying in there i'd yeah. imagine all year long yeah. maybe they drain it a couple of times and apparently if you smell chlorine in a pool you might think oh yeah that means it's clean no that's actually a gas that's created when chlorine reacts with chemicals in your urine and the stronger the chlorine smell the more pee is likely in the pool yeah, I know. Uh, so, and it might not even actually be all that clean. Like you smell it, and you're like, "Oh, that's a lot of chlorine. At least it'll keep me clean." But yeah. no, it might actually no, be just urine. This is why I, 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 I find it disgusting when people pee in the pool. I yeah. think it's disgusting. I don't. I, I, uh, I don't go for it either. I think in the ocean you can get away with it. Uh-huh. I think in a lake you can get away with it. But I, if I'm in a pool. I am getting out of the pool, and I'm going to the bathroom outside of the pool. I used to have a friend named Brian Lopez. We'd go fishing. We'd go, and we'd rent a boat, like when we were in high school. We'd go rent a little uh, little boat with a you know an outboard engine, like a hand-steered outboard engine and everything. And he would always, like every single time we went, 
because it would be in the afternoon. I guess that was when his body would tell him it's time to go. He'd jump over the edge and just uh, drop a deuce in the lake, <laughs> in Canandaigua Lake. And I don't like I, I for the life of me, I don't think I could do it. Uh, but that's what he would do routinely. And that's it's a really big lake, and it was usually like it wasn't in the summer. It wasn't during the swimming time of year. Is that acceptable uh, to actually poop in a lake? I mean – I guess you would do that. I, to, there's no salt in it, right? It's a freshwater it's lake. It's a freshwater lake. Well, I, I suppose poop. you're contributing to the circle of life, right? I imagine the fishies are going to eat yeah, that. Yeah, they'll, 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 they'll dispose of it really like, nobody, There's a very little chance that somebody – but it might it might float up on somebody's dock or something, Yeah, that's true. That's true. Which, are all, which already has a bunch of bird poop on it. A little it. fertilizer. It's human poop. A little fertilizer for the flies or something like that. <sighs> Look, I, 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 I would advise against it, but – Look, when, 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 when duty calls, I suppose if you're out in the, in the middle of a lake, where are you going to go? All right, good. I'm glad we finished on this. This is socially important <laughs> stuff. We, uh, we finally got to that. <laughs> By the way, so I floated the river in Austin on a bachelor party last week. Yeah. Guess how many condoms I saw floating in the river? Oh, three. Did you count three? <laughs> three. And one of them I almost touched. <laughs> one of them I what almost touched. doing at that moment? Just like finally at the end, you're like, ah, I'm going to finish this off with a cigarette and polluting Mother Nature. The hell, Just pull out, kids. Right, like, you know uh, what? If you're gonna go, like honestly, I, you're probably better off just uh, going unprotected in the in the in the river, right? That's Wrong. A, that's a Don Draper move right there. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> you're welcome for that. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 